Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. And welcome back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. A whole lot to get to on this one. We have heard from the key decision makers, Jim Ursay, Chris Boward, and Frank Reich over the past week or so, and now into the divisional round of games, eight left, hoping that this weekend will provide a little bit more entertainment. Um, I, I think we all deserve that. Wild card weekend, eh, okay. Nothing crazy there on that front, so hopefully we get some good games this Saturday and Sunday. And as always, we'll have Twitter questions. We'll get to a lot of them today, and we'll continue to touch on the offseason list throughout the next couple of weeks and months. A lot of them aren't super time sensitive, so we can save some and don't need to get to all of them today. I try to keep the podcast in the off season to, you know, an hour, a little, little less than an hour, but Chris Presley, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I mean, obviously, <clears throat> pardon me. Wow. Sorry. Frog in my throat there. Dude, all good, man. Um, obviously would have loved to see our team in this past weekend. And there were some duds in terms of score outcomes but there's also some great games and yeah i know you and i both watched all of those this weekend or as much as we could and it's still i like their their format this year the saturday sunday monday i know give me as much football as you can and as many days as you can and give me appointment television and a reason to uh, i can't you know i can't today i i got something that came up and that something is the nfl <laughs> no you know i felt like maddie looked at me last night and was like wait there's another game there there's one more I'm like, yeah, there is. Luckily, she's going out of town this weekend, so Rosie and I will get well acquainted with the Saturday action at least. Um, if you had to pick a Super Bowl matchup that you would like, um, I'll go first. Financially, I've got some stake in the Bills. Okay. And I really love watching Aaron Rodgers play the game of football. Those are my two. Really? Yep. Wow. Gosh. Just in terms of what you said. Originality. We don't We don't, We don't. don't <laughs> strive for that here in Kevin's Corner. Um. Okay, so you have financial stake in the Bills, too? I don't. Uh, I've not made any bets um, in terms of long-term, in terms of down the road. I made a couple bets here and there this weekend. Yeah. Won some money, so that was that was good. Go. You know, anytime you can make up rent in a weekend's time of betting some football, Shoot, boy, you'll take Chris it. Presley. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, like you said, I don't hate any team that's left in terms of watching them. Obviously, as Colts fans, a lot of us still – Hold a little bit of a grudge towards Tom Brady, but you know my 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 father grew up out in uh, California for a while when he was stationed there in the military. So my brother's a big Niners fan. Gotcha. Always love seeing the Cowboys get knocked out. Joe Burrow, love seeing what he can do. Would want them to obviously beat Tennessee, but everyone else, you know that Bills Kansas City game is going to be great. Um, so yeah, just a lot of great matchups. So I don't really care who makes it to the Super Bowl at this point. Yeah, and there definitely was a little bit of like, oh, wow, this 430 game's about to start on Saturday, and uh-huh. it's Raiders-Bengals. You know, I, I felt that from Colts fans. I was around or certainly even on Twitter reaching out. So um, let's get into today's podcast. We will break down specifically the Chris Boward press conference, kind of my main takeaways. I did a 10-takeaway article up on the site, so I won't hit on all of them, but we'll get to the big ones and kind of sprinkle in. Some other thoughts in the Twitter questions. Chris, feel free to chime in 
as well yeah. with anything that you found interesting, um, whether it was Reich, Ursay, or Ballard-related. Let's start with the most important position in sports, and that would be Carson Wentz. Um, Frank Reich and Chris Ballard are smart people. Chris Presley, they're very smart people. Um, they know what their words say. They know what the words they don't say says. Right. They know full well what they said or, again, did not say about Carson Wentz this past week. Um, you know, we had Bob Kravitz on our morning show a little bit earlier today, and I asked him a question of, if you were in the Carson Wentz camp, what would you think about the comments you heard from the general manager and the head coach over the past week? And Bob and I are on the same page and saying, I would think, do we need to sell the house? I don't know how you listen to the comments from Ballard or Reich and don't come away with that thought. The only thing holding it back is the answer of who else? Like, that's not a ringing endorsement yeah. on your quarterback. Um, Ballard specifically, Chris, several times, you know, he, he kind of began things by saying, you know, at the time, I thought it was the right trade. And, and I still think that. At the time, but whenever you use the phrase at the time, it kind of gives you like a cop-out, you know? Like, well, at the time, you know, I thought taking 10 shots in 28 minutes before going to the bars to meet my friends was a good idea. And then next thing you know, at 3 a.m., I was buying everybody a Qdoba burrito and <laughs> behind the counter trying to, you know, make a burrito bowl. Like, you know, it, it just kind of it gives you a bit of a cop-out. Yeah. Um. I can't tell you how many times in those 60-plus minutes that he first talked about the quarterback position. This is a guy that usually strays away from a little bit of the quarterback-centric talk. And how many times he went unprompted back to needing quarterback play or needing stability from that position. Um, the make the layups comment he said to Carson Wentz. Ballard was referencing him and Wentz's conversation from the day prior. Carson, you got to make the layups. Yeah. So true, right? So true. And then the follow-up question was like, you know, do you feel like that's something he can do? And, well, you know, it's something that we've got to talk with our staff. Is it fixable? Something we have to work with with Frank and the staff. This is not typical Colts chatter. Like, even when they talked about Bursette, you would always hear them laud him about his leadership and what, what he meant to the locker room. Mm -hmm. You know, like, we didn't even get that from Wentz. Uh, when he talked about the good, he used the word some. He did some good. When he talked about areas to improve, there are a lot to improve on. Like, you could find seven, eight different times yeah. in this press conference where it was just like, whoa. Um, so, yeah, man, I kind of sit here and think to myself, if this were a three-person vote right now, Jim Mercer and Chris Ballard would be voting no. And I don't even know where Frank Reich would vote. I mean, Reich certainly didn't give vote of confidence. And I'm thinking they're listening to Reich, listening to Ballard, thinking, how much of this is Ursay related from Sunday night? After that Jacksonville game, how much was that Ursay in that room saying, I'm keeping you both, but I'm sick and tired of that quarterback? Maybe it's a far-fetched thought. You never, it, I mean, you don't know. Could but be. It, it's a thought that's in my head. Yeah. Uh, the all-chips-in comment from Ursay. Mm -hmm. Again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that was a very, we need anyone walking into West 56th Street, all-chips-in as my 747 engine is louder than hell. You know, I, I'm like, 
by the way, for the plane people out there. I don't think it's a 747. Very nice plane, Yeah. by the way. Um, the all chips in comment. Was that Wentz vaccine related? Was it? Obviously, there's other players that weren't vaccinated. But, like, you know, it just, man, it's, um, I think if there was any semi-connection to the Colt staff or a semi-relatively easy-to-explain option, Carson Wentz would not be the quarterback in 2022. Now, Bursette to Rivers made sense. Yes. Rivers to Wentz made sense. Wentz to... Don't have a great answer for you, Chris. Uh, Me talking on January 18th, I think there's some big dominoes to fall. Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson... Not saying any of those guys would be playing quarterback here in Indianapolis next year, but if they go someplace, that it could shifts, knock yeah. that quarterback. You know, so there is kind of a domino game right. to play here. Um, I would kind of say the most damning thing, and you could probably point to others, but I, I'm going to go here. The most damning thing that I thought Ballard said, Wentz related, was Chris's evaluation of the wide receiver group. Chris does not think at the wide receiver position is that big of a problem. Maybe even a problem at all. Now, I would disagree with him on that. But that's his opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that opinion matters a whole lot when you're the general manager of the football team. And Chris, think about that. If Ballard doesn't think wideout's a problem, what does that say about his evaluation of Carson Wentz? Because right, I think when right. you hear people say Wentz deserves another year. I think the two biggest reasons are full off season, you know, OTAs, healthy for training camp, you know, second year with Reich, all that. That's kind of reason one. And I don't know, honestly, this other reason might be reason one, but that's one of the reasons. The other reason is, hey, he needs better wideouts. He's got to have better pass cut. I mean, look who he's throwing to. And I get that, and I totally agree. You need to, you did not support him to the level that you needed to. But when a massive decision maker does not feel like that position group is that big of an issue, that needs to matter in our evaluation process of how we look at this. Um, so, yeah, man, I am just... Well, you said, I mean, you guys have to kind of read between the lines. You know, you kind of have to use some of the breadcrumbs, and like you said earlier in the podcast... Welcome to off-season life. You yeah, know? <laughs> like you said earlier in the podcast, there was a lot of things that he said and didn't say that you kind of took away from. I saw a lot of you guys when you were out there, a lot of you journalists... Uh, media members tweeting especially about the fact that we're now over 60 minutes how much of what you guys asked him did he just continue to expand on and and how typical is is that length normal for yeah I mean Ballard does a great job and the the season ending presser I mean 60 plus minutes I think it was like 66 something like that I mean that's a that's a long time right um you know I asked all I think I had seven or eight questions that I really wanted to get to either I think I asked three or four of them and my fellow colleagues asked asked the rest of them so I was I was content you know there's a few follow-ups when you listen to the audio you're always kind of like oh man I wish I would have it's hard in this day and age of like you're tweeting and you're trying to listen which you know (laughs) I know no one is crying for me this is my job and it's (laughs) a, a, a joke that it's called a job um so I'm very lucky to have it, but that's stuff that I need to figure out on my end. Um, I, you know, I look at Ballard and say this, Chris. Transparency, candidness as a general manager, he's top three or four in the NFL. 
I can also sit here and critique things and evaluate things and not let his candidness and transparency cause my glasses to be rose-colored. Yeah. Um, although I do love rose, rosy, <laughs> um, and I do love glasses uh, because I can't see without them. So, um, again, very transparent, very candid. Um, I thought at times there was a little bit of edginess to him. He, he's got a little edge. I, mean, yeah. I mean, hell, if you ever are in the press box with him during a game, you will certainly see that. But I thought there were a few times where he, he whiny might not be the right word. It's probably a bad word to use. But just like none of y'all thought Michael Pittman was going to be any good. I'm thinking to myself, well, boy, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I thought a lot of people thought Michael Pittman was going to be good. You know, there are a few of those comments where I'm like, I'm not used to Ballard kind of going down that path on an on-record yeah. sense. Um, is that, you know pissed off because he missed the playoffs and he's on edge. I mean, sure, I don't blame him for that. It's probably a little bit from it. So, um, you know, he said the finances of Wentz for 2022 would have a little bit of influence on this. But, man, there was just so many times where I thought to myself, holy hell. Yeah. You know, at Sunday at 4 o'clock after that Jacksonville game, I thought 5 to 10% chance Wentz would be gone. That number, as I talked to some people and listened to some people, crept closer and closer to like 20, 30. And after hearing Ballard, I think it's a true coin flip. And Chris, the only reason it's a coin flip is because the who else answer, which, again, is not a ringing endorsement yeah. of what you have. So uh, I know we got more quarterback questions coming up. We can get to those. But if you are in the cars or if you are looking for a a uh, nice piece of property in the Zionsville area. <laughs> there could be one coming available here in the next few months. Um, it's a little stunning to say that, but again, I'll stand by what I said throughout a lot of the season and was exacerbated exacerbated late in the season. I just didn't see the level of quarterback play that I think is necessary mm-hmm. um, to win, which is a little bit higher standard than I think most. But uh, And when I say win, <laughs> win, baby. W-I-N, 72 font. Tahoma is the font that I like to use on Microsoft Word okay. for those curious. Uh, bold. Win, baby. Win, win, win. Not on the couch and content with 9 and 8. Clearly, we had to get to wins first. Like you said, the article was on 1075thefan.com. The 10 takeaways, we're not going to get to all of them. But one of the ones you did want to touch on are two of the bigger needs that Ballard mentioned, and they came from each side of the ball. Yeah, let's start with tight end. Um, he was very clear. Tight end needs work. Molly Cox, he'd like to bring back as a free agent. We'll see about the Jack Doyle re- retirement decision. My gut says Doyle retires. I don't have a lot of intel into that, um, but that's just kind of what my gut's saying. And then Kylan Granson's a guy that I thought showed a couple moments as the year went on. But, you know, I still think tight end. Mm-hmm. I agree whole, wholeheartedly with him. It needs work. Defensive line was the other one that really stood out to me. Um, what's interesting with that one is he kind of said D-line depth over talent. You know, quantity over quality was the vibe that I got. You know, need eight or nine. So kind of doing what they did with the offensive line, to a degree. Yeah. Um, yes, but obviously different in how you use them on game day. You know, O-line, you got your five. Yeah. D-line, you're rotating in constantly. And I think he looks at 17 games, and you got to have a lot of depth. And certainly, you talked a whole lot about Tyquan Lewis. So I, I, I think it should bode well for Tyquan being re-signed. Um, don't know if I... Didn't hear much of Kamoko Ture, and but we'll, we'll see about that after Ture did have a career high in sacks. I 
I understand where Ballard's coming from, quantity over quality. Like, it's a long season. The trenches have a lot of attrition. Yes. But, like, he also just needs some studs, man. You need some horses. <laughs> you can't wear people down with, you know, a bullpen just throwing out there, you know, lefty after lefty after lefty to get your left-handed lineup. Sooner or later, you got you can't rely on your defense to get ground balls and, and, and fly balls. Like, you, you're going to have to strike some dudes out. You're going to have to make some just studly individual pass rush plays. So I, that's why I would push back on him. And he kept on saying eight or nine. And then when I heard that, I'm thinking, well, why not bring back Autry? Like, if depth is this big of a focus, why wasn't a versatile, proven piece who when I talk about guys that kind of have some edge to them, why not check every single blue character box that you want? I think Autry's one of those guys. And again, I think that locker room needs it. You know, do you want 53 of them? Uh, probably not. But do you need a few that's going to push some buttons? I think Autry does that in his own kind of unique way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, pass rush, you know, he, he mentioned that several times, needs to improve. So, uh, yeah, I did want to mention those two needs. Cornerback, he would like to get a little bit better there. He did point out the Colts played man-to-man a little bit more late in the year, which he was happy with, and I, I would agree with. Um, but, yeah, if I had to kind of put two needs above the rest, again, in Ballard's eyes, I would say it's tight end and the depth along the defensive line. You mentioned it a little bit earlier talking about Carson Wentz. The last one you want to talk about in terms of takeaways that Ballard mentioned was the wide receiver room. Chris, it's um, he describes wideout like you've left the leftovers in the microwave and just kind of forgot about them. And then you get there and you're like, oh, boy, this isn't at the degree that I would like it to be. Mm-hmm. Do you eat it or do you, <laughs> do you heat it up again? You know, what do you what do you do at that point? Um, I mean, his stressing of the need at wide receiver seemed lukewarm at best. And again, <laughs> if you're Carson Wentz, you don't love hearing that. It's just weird to me. Like, you guys have heard me talk about what I think about wideout. The final four teams, the AFC, last year, or excuse me, final four teams, the NFL, the wideouts. How about let's look at the teams playing on Saturday, Chris? Saturday and and Sunday. But let's just start on Saturday. Cincinnati, Jamar Chase, and their other wideouts. Boyd too. and Higgins, <laughs> right. yeah. Tennessee, AJ Brown. The second game, Green Bay, Devontae Adams, San Francisco, Debo Samuel. Sunday, Odell Beckham, Cooper Cup, Mike Evans. Unfortunately, Chris Godwin can't play. Right. And then you look at the final game of the weekend, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill. I mean, like, <laughs> those teams, all eight of them, superior, vastly superior to what you have at the wide receiver possession. It just, he's never been a wide out guy, never been one. And it's always been puzzling to me. Um, is it faith in Frank Reich scheming things up? I, yeah, but that seems like a whole lot of pressure to put on your head coach. And as much as you want to scheme things up, the other team is going to scheme things up. And at the end of the day, you just got to have some dogs that win, man. And the Colts don't have that. The other thing that I thought was weird was like, he kept on saying that it was a hard position for college guys to make an early impact, which I see where it's coming from. I mean, Michael Pittman had a, like, I think when Pittman came out, it was like him and uh, 
what's his name from LSU? Him and Justin Jefferson, Jefferson. Like had the only guys in college football last year to have 100 catches and 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns. Like They proved themselves more than anybody. And, you know, it took Michael Pittman a little bit before we saw it. Injury played into it. But, like, it's not like his rookie season was, you know, 1,000 yards and high-level consistency week in and week out. So I understand Ballard on that. So then I'm thinking to myself, well, why isn't there more invested in free agency at wide receiver? And I get it. There's some wide receiver analytics and free agency that those guys don't work out. Like, when Ballard has used free agency, I think he's found a lot – a lot of success with it. So I would say good amount of success with it. So I just think wide receiver is a position to use. It's particularly last year when you had kind of different levels of wideouts to where you find the right guy that fits your scheme, fits your system, and you go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, I mean, he genuinely likes the young guys and like Desmond Patman and Ashton Doolin and Mike Strawn. Have they had flashes in moments, games, or practice? Sure. Desmond Patman has two catches in his NFL career, I think. Uh, Mike Strawn didn't play the final, whatever, yeah. two months of the year, probably longer than that. And I don't know if Ashton Doolin's caught more than two balls in an NFL game in his life. Like, you want them to go from bottom of the barrel to Hilton's a free agent and debating retirement. Pascal's a free agent and just came off a very poor season for him, although. Ballard, I don't think really acknowledged that too much. And Paris Campbell, you just you just can't trust. Mm-hmm. So um, I couldn't disagree more with him on wideout. Well, someone someone in the uh, local media, it might have been an indie star. I can't remember. I know you've you've had to have seen it. the uh, The pie chart of the amount of receptions per receiver this year, and just how much of that was Pittman. And a lot of the guys you just mentioned were just little bitty yeah. slivers mm-hmm. in terms of percentage. I know there's a stat that's gotten a lot of play of like the Colts. I think were they the only team in the league to only have one receiver over 400 yards receiving? I think that's a stat. Really? I, I think and like that one is not as like bad to me as like everyone else because like when you take quantity of yards, like obviously Carson Wentz is not going to throw for a ton of yards. You have Jonathan Taylor. It's more of the efficiency type of numbers. Like what do you? do when you get those chances to make those plays. Um, I think there's other areas you can point to that the wide receiver group um, has struggled and has routinely been an issue. So, um, yeah, lukewarm at best on that wide receiver need. I would disagree with that. And I also think it's something that we'll get into as the offseason unfolds. But, Chris, you're in a position right now where you don't have that first-round draft pick. That puts more pressure on free agency. Mm-hmm. It just does. It, it puts more pressure on you to use it. And I'll hold my breath and see what happens in two months from now. Well, Kevin, if you want to, if you have no other comments on the takeaways, we can jump into Twitter questions because what you just talked to kind of aligns with John's first question okay. for you. Cool, 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 cool. He felt like in the Jacksonville game, Carson did have a pretty clean pocket most of the time. With the pass catcher room needing the upgrades, which guys do you recommend to replace T.Y. Hilton, Zach Paschal, Paris Campbell, Jack Doyle? He says he wants all four gone in 2022. Oh, <laughs> okay so there. Um, overhaul. Boy, that sounds like a Madden video game franchise. You know, um, I know a lot of people have probably seen this by now. Have you watched the Kurt Warner video on Carson Wentz? No. Uh-uh. Basically, it's Warner breaking down, specifically the Jacksonville game. Um if you're a believer in Carson Wentz 
and you want to still be a believer in Carson Wentz, don't watch the video. That's my advice. Uh, we're trying to have Kurt Warner on the morning show just to kind of get more of his insight into it. Basically, it's a lot of like eyes. Carson really struggles with his eyes and making the right reads and looking at the defense and kind of acknowledging, okay, can I eliminate that? You know that read. Right. Um, how quickly can I move on to other reads? You know things like that. And I'll, I will continue to come back to this, John. I have issues with Wentz, and I have issues with the wide receivers. <laughs> like, I think everyone wants to be, let's bullshit. You know, he didn't have any wideouts, or Carson sucks, and these wideouts are fine. Guys, it can be both. You know, it doesn't have to be just one or the other. As far as replacing all four of those, I mean, hell, you might get your wish on what two or three of them. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see what cutting Campbell does. I mean, he's making a million next year. If you have Paris Campbell at a million for ten games, it's probably better than contributing a million somewhere else. So uh, I'm not, I'm not in like the must cut Paris Campbell sort of things. We'll get into free agents down the road, but I, you know, Chris, it does kind of bring up a point. Like if you don't have Hilton, you don't have Ali Cot or excuse me Doyle. Mm-hmm. You know Pittman. Okay, he's now in that number one wideout sort of. Re- attention role. But outside of that, Allie Cox, you're asking to make a huge jump. Granson, you're asking to make a huge jump. Wide out wise, Doolin, Patman, Strawn, whoever else you want to throw. Like, you're asking guys to blossom into roles they haven't been asked to do. How do they react to that? Good or bad? I think that's a question mark as well. Yeah. Next one comes from Old Daner. At what point is Frank Reich's climb the mountain uh, idiom eerily similar to we're just going to keep chopping wood? Ballard loves the climb the mountain one. Or, uh, Reich loves yeah. that, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, I've climbed Camelback Mountain. That's probably the extent of my climbing of mountains. Have you climbed anything? No. <laughs> yeah, I climbed the wall of Galleons once when I was younger. See, I was always I'm scared of heights, so I was. Always oh, I'm scared of heights to too. I, I think I was like when I was still young enough to where I didn't really. You just kept going. I was just like, oh yeah, I've got nothing to, you know, I don't have kids. That's true. I I, at, at a certain age, I mean, I used, you know. Growing up, climb any tree, yeah, whatever. Sure. And then you get to a certain age, you're like, oh, no, like, you know what? I, I kind of want to live a little bit longer here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, every coach has stupid cliches. I mean, like, like yeah. you know, anyone have a cool one? I I, I don't know. The, the first cool coaching cliche I've heard will probably be the first one. Like, after a while, it gets old. It gets, I don't have anything. I don't know. Maybe it change it up. Now, I do think this, and this will be kind of a common theme I come back to a lot in the offseason. Where are you going to eject life? Where are you going to inject fire? Where are you going to – how are you going to create an edge inside of that building? Right. You know, I think Chris Boward and Frank Reich should be on a hot, hot, hot seat going into next season. I bet if you polled my colleagues, I'd probably be in the minority of that. If you polled fans, I'd probably still be in the minority. I, I think I should I, – I believe the seat should be scorching. Um, and I can also sit here and say, I think it should be hot, but I also don't sit here and think that like Chris Boward and Frank Reich have done an absolutely piss poor, you know, job and they suck and, you know, they're going to get fired after the 2022 season. Chris, sometimes being in the hot seat can be damn good for you. Yeah. Makes you be vulnerable, makes you look in the mirror, leads you to think in ways you maybe didn't think before. Um, it challenges you. 
And when has this football team been at its best under Frank Reich? 0-5 start. 1-4 <laughs> this year. Right. 1-5 and five and 18, Chris. Backs against the wall. Yeah. When have they been at their worst? When the bullseye has kind of been there. And they have been kind of playing with a lead. And, they, I mean, the fourth quarter scoring. Like, so I, I'm just, I think it's a good thing. Send a message. Have some accountability. Light a fire. It doesn't mean that you don't, you're going to fire them. Hell, they're under contract through 2026 or whatever. But, man, I just feel like when you say hot seat, people get all hot and bothered. Like, in a company... If my wife, who's been in sales, is not meeting her quota, you think her boss is going to have a word with her? Yeah. Hell yeah. Now my wife is managing a team. If her team is not meeting those expectations, you think she's going to have a word with him? Yes. Like, the accountability to me, I think, just needs to have more of a... And that's where I feel like Ursay is kind of speaking out of both sides of his mouth, Chris. You know, he's calling it unacceptable. He sent he sent the, uh, the, the letter to Colts fans and... Instead of championship team, and there he puts contending team. I mean, he's kind of right, but like, you know, he's now speaking out of a different side. But yet, to Mike Chappell, he's calling the job Chris Bowden and Frank Reich have done excellent. Jimmy, not, not adding up, brother. Not, yeah. not, not adding up here. Something, uh, both sides of our mouth. Let's, let's have some public accountability, actions with that accountability, and let's see what happens. Because the results have been the results for four to five years. It's okay to change it up. See what happens. Yeah, and as as we see, even though, even though you said, you know, they're under contract till 26, look around the league right now. <laughs> look how many GMs and coaches see ya. you. Don't, you don't get a lot, a lot of time to prove it anymore. What do we got, eight? Eight openings, is that yeah. right? I think it's eight, four GM openings. I saw um, Eberflus and Dodds yesterday with the Bears. Right, and I, I am... Totally, all understanding of give some guys time and this and that. You want to, you know, the Giants firing coaches after two, two, two. Like it's right. kind of like, all right, that might be more of an organizational issue. Uh, but when you're to year six and year five, which is what these two are going into, and again, the expectations are as high as they should be. Mm-hmm. It's okay to turn up the seat warmer, baby. Makes sense. I've been turning it up a lot lately, by the way. Oh, but- I mean, I'm getting in that car early in the morning, and I'm like, how, you know. I know the intersection right when it's going to get to the right temperature and everything. I'm like, how can we get it a couple of intersections before? You got remote start at all? Do you like start it and then make some breakfast and get I, out there? Or? I don't. I don't have the remote starter. Um, yeah, I don't. Well, so. there's here's your endorsement. If anyone out there yes. is a... Our remote starter companies, <laughs> if you want to be in a great market, come right here at Indianapolis, baby. Kevin's Corner it is. Thank you, Chris. You're always thinking like that. Trying to help you out. This one's from Chris, who loves the show, by the way. Thank you, Chris. Um, if we get a proven veteran free agent at only one position, would you prefer it to be a number one wide receiver, a shutdown corner, or a stud tight end? Also, he feels like our offensive line success at guard with Golinski, Chris Reed, and Danny Pinter is fine. Eric Fisher can be cut. And when does Frank Wright just grow a pair and tell Quentin Nelson that he's playing left tackle because it's best for the team? Okay, um, lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the first one. Uh, you say wide out, shut down corner, or tight end? Yes, stud tight end. I always have had a soft spot for stud tight ends. Maybe that's a Notre Dame kind of in me. Uh, but I will go with number one wide out. You know, shut down corner, I did appreciate a little bit more. Man, they played late in the year, but I still just don't think in that system that it's that that necessary. 
Uh, I mean, I asked Ballard directly. Quentin Nelson, a left tackle. And he cut me off before I could finish. Nope. Why would I move a Hall of Fame guard to play tackle? I've always said this about Nelson. Does he want to play there? Right. I feel like we never go there, you know? Nelson was not a tackle at Notre Dame. Um, and I can easily hear people say, okay, if he doesn't want to play tackle, then we're not paying him tackle money. All right, fine. But that's like a, an element of this that you have to factor in. There's no guarantee that Nelson's just going to go to tackle and play well. Um, Glowinski is a free agent. We should note that. And Reed, actually, is a free agent as well. But Quentin Nelson is staying at left guard. Earlier, the question from John. John thought the Carson Wentz pocket was pretty clean. Mike disagrees. He feels like, one, the pass rush was non-existence against the Jaguars. And then he says that the O-line looked like a bunch of scrubs that we took off the street. Where do you think we go from here? We have the same questions last year as we do now, and how does that make Chris Ballard look? Yeah, it's it's not good. Um, I think someone asked Ballard specifically about, I think Chat might ask him about that, and he kind of nodded his head like, yeah, we do have the same questions. You know, I think people have often heard me on the beers with Bowen say this. I think a big part of off seasons and drafts, especially when you have a pretty established franchise, is about passing the torch from one to the next. The idea was Mathis to Bjorn Werner. You know, I always thought, okay, where's the left tackle going to be? Costanzo to the next one. Right. You know, Reggie to T.Y., okay, that worked out better than you thought. T.Y. was a third-round pick. Now it's T.Y. to the next one. You know, is it Pittman? Um, you know, obviously quarterback Manning to Luck is, is the most obvious one. But, um, you know, quarterback, wide out, left tackle, the end, and corner, those five are the five we named last year, and those five are the same ones now. And to varying degrees, I still think they're there. You know, the corners, a couple of young guys I thought made some nice steps. But wide receiver-wise, you need to help out Michael Pittman. Is Michael Pittman definitely the, the, that one? I like Pittman, but there are also some times, Chris, where I'm like, man, I feel like it's been a really quiet, like, three series. You know, wh- where is he? Yeah. Um, is it him? Is it Wentz-related? You know, those are kind of questions you have. So, um yeah, it, it, it is. It's a critical, critical offseason with resources that aren't as abundant as they've been in previous offseasons. Yeah. So I think that's what kind of adds to things as well. Yeah, and that was a little more salt in the wound after the loss you, when you just mentioned beers with Bowen. I was hoping we'd have one for playoffs. I know, a little playoff one. Yeah, we, we got to sit down and figure out when the next one could be with that because um, definitely want to get those back started again. Oh, yeah. All right, question from Jabroni. Uh, the loss was awful, but for him, a little bit of sake, uh, he got took Jaguars' money line at under 41.5. So oh, geez. <laughs> he made some good money. However, a question that I'd ask Frank Reich, and this is from Jabroni, how do you get how do you get better as a coach continuing to have your team fail when they need to have shown con- – let me start that one over. Continuing to have your team fail when they needed most shown lack of preparation – how does the coaching staff get better? How does the coach get better at situations like this? Yeah, you know, it's a very fair question. Um, again, I asked Chris Boward. One of the questions that I asked him was just, you know, you had a team high or a league high, I should say, seven pro bowlers. Mm-hmm. He didn't make the playoffs. Is that an indictment on your coaching staff? Boward didn't really want to go there. Uh, asked about Frank Reich and, and couldn't praise him more. Um so it doesn't sound like staff changes are happening now. Again, inevitable 
coaching changes will happen around the league, and so that the domino effect will continue and continue, and we'll see where things tra- tra- transpire from there. Yeah, I think the Colts do a great job, um, for the most part, of getting off to great starts on both sides of the ball. The issues come in finishing games. So is that an adjustment within the game problem? I think that needs some offseason work. Defensively, and again, this is under the Frank Reich watch, the development, particularly of your defensive line, has lacked. So I think that is an area that I would explore as well. And I just think if you're Frank, open-minded. You know, it's great to have a close family tree of, you know, I talked to Tony Dungy this day. Well, okay. Are there other people that might have different views than Tony Dungy on how you need to go about things? Um, Frank has such great conviction, which is an ideal quality in many facets of life, but sometimes that thinking needs to be challenged. I I think Frank is relatively open-minded and not like a all I want is yes-men and women in my building, but I think he could be challenged a little bit more with that. And you guys have heard me say this before. I also think when you're on game day specifically, when you're so, so into having to call plays and all of that, I think you can lose sight of what's going on around you. Um, So um, those are some other things that I would like to see from a coaching staff standpoint of how do we adjust, how do we find a killer instinct? Mm -hmm. Those things I think are critical. Tyler's wondering your thoughts on the fact that Danny Pinter played fairly well in a small sample size this year and knows that Chris Ballard thinks highly of him. Obviously, if we were to trade Ryan Kelly, that would clear up a ton of cap space. What do you think a fair return on that trade would be? Who interesting. I like this question. Uh, will you look up Ryan Kelly's age for me? I, I know he's a little bit older on the young, you know, kind of second contract scale. The Colts love Danny Pinter at center. They've always mentioned center before they've mentioned guard with Kelly, or excuse me, with Pinter. Um, 28. 28. When he turn 29? He will turn 29 on May 30th. Okay. So 29 before next season. Obviously, centers and offensive linemen can play well into their 30s. We know that. But the first pick that comes to mind is like a third rounder. Contractually, still under contract for several years, if I'm not mistaken. So um, I don't think anything much higher than that. I, I don't know. I, do interior offensive linemen really get traded for, you know, higher than that stuff? I don't know. Third rounder is kind of what pops in my head. Obviously, you would save some, um, save some cap space. Um, but yeah, I, I if you're going to tell me I'm trading Ryan Kelly for a third rounder, I think I'll probably do it. Okay. Now, draft capital isn't there. Um, it would be a loss, but at the same time, I do think Pinter gives you some little bit more athleticism and space, maybe not as much as a, a brawler that I think Kelly gives you. Um, and I do like Kelly's toughness. I do think there is a lot of toughness with Ryan Kelly and kind of a hard-ass feel, which I think is important, but, you know, you got to think Nelson's going to provide a good amount for that offensive line as well. Right. Sticking on the offensive line with a question from Tanner, and we talked about this earlier, should we actually consider moving Nelson to left tackle next year? It's clear that we can find guards easier than tackles. Got to pay him a ton of money anyway. 
So you guys obviously know what the Nelson answer was earlier. Um, I put this as one of like the off-season storylines to watch. Mm-hmm. And you would have thought I said, you know, Quentin Nelson couldn't work at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I got some dude. I'm trying to find the comment here. goes, I respect you too much, Kevin, but you question if Nelson should be resigned is disgusting. Ooh. He's having a day. <laughs> I mean, the offseason, you ask every single question about your operation. Every single player on your roster, every single... Some are dumb questions, some are smart questions, some have debates that last 10 seconds, others have debates that last 10 days. You ask them all. That's the beauty of how long the NFL offseason is and how you've got these little checkpoints at the combine and the free agency and the draft, et cetera, OTAs. Like, well, and with the hot seat, like you said, now it's time to ask even ask more questions probably, right? Amen. Amen. You ask them all. How much money are we going to pay Quentin Nelson? How much money should we pay Quentin Nelson? Perfectly fine questions to ask. Chris Ballard's answer sounds like they are willing to pay him a large sum of money. Understand it. But when you like, I'm just throwing out a number here. Could be dead wrong. Let's say it's 18 to 20 million for Quentin Nelson. You know, is that 10 million that could go to another wideout? Is that 10 million that could go to another pass rusher? And then it's, you know, Chris Reed at left guard and Stanley Pinter at center. Like, these are just kind of questions, debates, challenging of philosophy, all of that, that I think it's totally fair to ask. Um, and the Nelson one is one that I think is okay to ask. It A lot of it comes down to, like, roster building. You know, as much as people say, well, you know, Pullian and Ballard are on the same page, and this is how Pullian built. Let's be honest, Pullian and Grigson had the same approach on offensive line. Ballard has a different approach. Pullian and Grigson... They wanted to go non-resource heavy in the interior of their offensive line. Ballard's the one that's like, oh, I'll go serious investment there. Right Now, Grigson eventually was like, God, I, this O-line thing, I can't figure it out. I got to draft Ryan Kelly, 18th overall. It, it just, he didn't want to, but he finally got to that point. Um, Ballard, I mean, he didn't waste any time. <laughs> it was, you know, because Braden Smith was thought to be a yeah. guard. Uh, so, just kind of fascinating how all that works. Um, I would very reluctantly give Quentin Nelson that money. Kind of crazy to say. Very reluctantly. But, I mean, you know, the best guards in the league, Joel Batonio and Zach Martin and Quentin Nelson, like, Mm -hmm. I just don't see, you know, it's just, it's a position that you can be a Hall of Fame caliber player and unfortunately, the debate over how much you Deserve to get paid is a very fair one to have at that spot. Yeah. All right, five more for this podcast. This one's from Joker. Obviously, we need another receiver to go alongside Michael Pittman. But do you think it might be time to change the play design and possibly bring in a real offensive coordinator? Joker is tired of watching our wide receivers run the same bland routes, and they obviously are easy to cover. Plus, the route trees just don't seem to play our receiver strengths. Yeah, they're, they're not changing play caller. Um, n- nor do I think they should. Um, Whiteout group needs more personnel. Not going to sit here and act like it doesn't. I mean, there are schemed up plays that I see week in and week out, Joker, that have plenty of yards after catch opportunities, just aren't taken advantage of. 
you know, T.Y. Hilton against the Raiders, he'd still be running if that ball was on target. Um, you know, there are plays certainly throughout the season that you can point towards. So um, I get that this is a popular one. Anti-Reich offense. think it's too vanilla. Hate the play calling. I am not in that camp. Um, I think you have a better than average offensive mind. Mm-hmm. And I do think schematically the Colts do some stuff that I really, really like. So uh, I'm not going there. You need some more personnel. Um, I'm 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 content content with what you got at quarterback. Uh, excuse me, not quarterback. What you got at uh, play caller? All right, this one comes from Connor, who's being very optimistic. Actually, Kevin. Okay. First off, I'm not sure where he works, but he says he's glad nobody at his work knows anything about the NFL so he won't get ripped into, which... Oh, is this Connor from Ireland? It might be. It could be. This, were you... No, you were out. Um, so I did the podcast with Eddie Garrison, the first one back from break, and uh, Connor from Ireland, I actually ran into him in Florida. Yeah. You did tell me about running into... Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, super, super nice guy. Hurling is a sport that I think his office knows more about. Okay. Um, so, yes, this it now makes sense. It does make sense because yeah. I was like, I don't know many American offices yeah. that don't know anything <laughs> no, about the NFL. No, that might be, uh, if your <laughs> office knows that, you really might want to work from home. Right. Wants to know, is there any positive to be gained from the fact that we don't have a false sense of security like we would have if the Jags played terrible and we won? We should be thanking the Jags in the sense that whoever gets fired or not re-signed will be thanks to them. <laughs> you know, I did get a couple questions like this. Connor, as always, thank you, man. Um, hope it was safe travels back to the homeland. Um, gosh, saying the homeland made me feel like I was like an accomplished, like back to the homeland, like I'm some like world traveler that like I've been outside of the country. Wouldn't you got the life. Irish hat on right now? I mean, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I've gotten something of like, was that loss the needed wake up call? You know, I, I think so much about this with the Pacers right now. Jeez. I I cannot say this enough. This is such a great time to be a Pacers fan. <laughs> Here comes change, folks. Finally, finally change. Finally, and I, I guess I'm there. There is some wishful thinking here. I'm assuming change is going to happen, but like running it back and believing that this is the right, you know, puzzle pieces and all of this. Finally. It's going to change. That's exciting. That's intriguing. That's what you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Colts aren't in that boat. I'm not saying that. But it is one of those things, Chris, of are the warts more obvious because of what happened against Jacksonville? Do you acknowledge things a little bit more? Are you more honest with yourself? I think there's a ton of validity to that. Now, it sucks that as a fan, you've got to take that embarrassing loss as a necessary wake-up call. You know, I know I've used this analogy before about you know, Notre Dame football in such a great, you know, such a solid, I think, uh, standpoint with Brian Kelly early in his tenure. He fires his strength coach, was, you know, one of his best friends in his wedding. Tough decision. Boom, they reach a higher level. Um, sometimes you got to make that, you know, you got to do harsh, harsh things to, and some coaches are willing to do it and some aren't. You know, Jim Morrow didn't want to fire Vic Fangio's defensive coordinator, and they fired Jim Mora. Like, some people don't want to go there. Yeah. But, if you have a willingness to try things differently, be open-minded. You know, wasn't it a couple of years ago that Saban was just like, all right, I've got to adopt this spread often. You know, I've got to, I've got to get to modern-day college football. Um, 
Like it's worked out well for Nicholas. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, that's where I think there is a lot of truth to Connor's question here. Again, it sucks that it, it had to take that. Maybe it didn't need the magnitude of that loss, but um, maybe that'll send a message that'll resonate. Stick there with things that might help resonate. Big Bama questions, kind of similar in terms of the wake-up call. Not just against the Jaguars, but if what happened this season won't wake up Chris Ballard to go get a good playmaker, an elite playmaker at the skill positions on both sides of the ball to maintain success in this league, will anything wake him up, or will he just be stubborn where he's not going to tweak anything even though he's getting the same result, which is to get to the playoffs maybe and have a chance to win a game but not a serious contender. It goes back to a lot of stuff that we said earlier. Just never been a big wideout guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is in- interesting to me of like, you know, you feel like something that kind of maybe hold the bears back, not having another weapon for Grossman or Orton or whoever was, you know, the prominent QB for the Cowboys, Craig Krenzel uh, for the bears, Jeez. not the Cowboys. <laughs> During that time, you know, Kansas City, what kind of held them back in the Alex Smith days? Like, is Dwayne Bowe really your number one wideout? I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like, who else were the wideouts there for the Chiefs back then. Um, Donnie Avery. Yeah. You know, so that's it's just odd to me. It's odd to me. I'm a big – I'm not like a, you know, everything must be invested into wideout. If you've got ten wideouts, you don't, you know. You're going to be great, blah, blah, blah. I mean, look at Arizona last night, man. You don't think the DeAndre Hopkins loss meant something to them? Huge, huge loss. Um, I think you could look at a variety of teams that, you know, haven't, didn't get to that level and kind of what what held them back. I do think explosive offenses and how quickly the Bucs got to 30, the Rams got to 30, what Buffalo put up. You got to score some points in this league. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, man, I, I don't think I'm wrong on this, but I don't see him wavering too much with it. So you got what 45 million, I think right now it is in cap space. You know, we'll get into free agents more on next week's podcast. Your, your own free agents, you're probably six to seven starters on that list. You know, let's say you shell out money there. Uh, let's say you spend, let's say you find a notable defensive lineman, notable corner. There's your 45 million. Get to the second round of the draft. You draft a left tackle. All that makes sense, I think, to a lot of people. What if you get to the third round and there's a quarterback that fell that you like? Take that quarterback. So now you're going to day three of the draft and you haven't touched a wideout yet. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that far out of the realm right. to me. And again, I'm looking at it, trying to look at it from Ballard's point of view. So I guess I'm preparing. <laughs> All of us, bra- brace yourself, folks. Because <laughs> I think that, that could be where we're going. This next one comes from Jason. If Miami goes after Deshaun Watson during the offseason, do you think Tua Tonga-Valoa could be had for two second-round picks? And if so, is he an upgrade over Carson Wentz, in your opinion? What do you think? Two second-rounders, is that right for Tua? Uh, I would say the Dolphins would disagree because they just fired their head coach. Yeah, it sounds like it was a Tua... Flores disconnect, or at least that played into it. What was he, number five overall pick? I believe so. So, yeah, I mean, it's – who does the the new head coach is going to have probably a big say in that? Right. Because the whole Deshaun I, Watson I heard was because of Flores. Like, 
Flores right, right. There was, was a big there. recruiter mm-hmm. in Watson. You know, I um I, I'm not the biggest to a guy, probably more injury related. I know his play on the field, even when he's been healthy, has not been at the level that you would want it to. Um you know, I know Saban praised him a whole lot when he came out. I don't think Saban does that just to do it really. You know, he does have, when he is in rhythm, I think it is kind of a quicker rhythm, uh, a little bit of a methodical kind of dink and dunk game. Uh, I probably would not do it, which Jason is really saying something because I'm a guy that loves to look into younger quarterbacks and higher ceilings and, um, you know, reasons to grow, room for growth, I should say. Like, all of that I think is pretty interesting, but I would say no on, on Tua. Okay. All right, two more. This one's from Steven. Ever since Tony Dungy, Jim Ursay believes that a nice guy as a head coach and a good culture is the blueprint. But Dungy did have respect of people like Bill Polian and Peyton Manning as bad guys, and since there's no one in this organization to hold those players accountable, Steven just doesn't know if uh, Frank Reich's going to get there, so he feels like we should fire Frank, bring in Jim Harbaugh. He knows that Harbaugh will wear out, wear out his welcome within five years, but would get Indy to a Super Bowl or two. <laughs> Harbaugh, can you imagine? Just khakis galore in the stands, baby. You beat Ohio State one time, and all of a hey, sudden. Hey, he won a big game at Lucas Oil Stadium this year. Dominated yep. the Hawkeyes in yep. Lucas Oil. Um, boy, it's a lot of good points Stephen makes. I mean, Dungy had Peyton and Polian. Talk about guys that I have you. I'm sure you've heard that story, the Super Bowl story about how you know, hey, we're going to let families stay on players' floors or, you know, they can be on players' floors for a few hours. And Peyton's like, nope. (laughs) You can see your families, you know, for whatever, one hour and go to the McDonald's playscape. You know, that's not happening under my watch. And that's his quarterback. The Harbaugh NFL resume is so, so impressive. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is. It's so impressive. Um, You know, I it goes back to an earlier point. I think right now, organizationally, they lack accountability. They lack fire. And the Ursay all-in comment, I think, kind of plays into some of that. So, I, I definitely hear you out. Um, I, I don't know about firing Frank and bringing in Harbaugh. Um, I don't necessarily think you're a Jim Harbaugh away from, boom, here comes Rick Carlisle. That'll save everything for the Pacers. I don't mm. look at Harbaugh I, it, at all. Um, I guess I look at both of those situations kind of similarly in that there's some personnel questions as well. But I do think there is a bit of, um, you know, who do you fear? Players, head coaches, and we're talking about professional football players. Some tough you-know-what. Yeah. Um, I think having a little bit of fire and brimstone isn't the worst thing in the world. So maybe Harbaugh would bring that, but... I tend to think if you could do that, maybe a little bit more in your locker room. Could resonate more. This last one comes from Jake. True or false, the results of the season have cost the Colts a chance at contention for a minimum of two more years. Oh, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you define as contention? It just makes things so much tougher with the resources and that QB answer. You know? So, under that boat, Jake, you are probably right of, like, you know, I had someone message me the other day, like, no matter what, you're still looking at an AFC moving forward of you have to be out of 
Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes, you have to beat two of those three to go to the Super Bowl. Just saying this, they show the graphic up on you know the games coming up, and I looked at my buddy. I said, look at what all those AFC teams have in common, and look at where the Colts are. Yeah, you have to have a quarterback, right? You know, we're not even talking about okay. You know, I saw a mock draft today that had like the Alabama wideout going to the Patriots. Like, what would that do for for Mac Jones? Uh, yeah, you know, is Herbert and the Chargers going to take that jump? Was the Ravens season just a blip on the radar? Um, what if the Steelers get Russell Wilson? Yeah. You know, like you know, those sort. Where is Watson going to go? Um, yeah, this was a big kick in the you know what season. Just losing the first round pick, no answer on Wentz, um, and like you also. I mean, I, I know it's been a hot, popular topic. I actually think the Colts got good COVID luck. If you look at like the games missed due to COVID, right? I want to say the Colts. I don't have in front of me. I think it was. Eight games total they missed due to COVID. Uh, their entire roster, which I think was the third fewest in the NFL. Like, you had most teams missing, you know, 19, 20, more than that. Yeah, we're going to have to move a game to Tuesday. Yeah, like. yeah. so, you know, I feel like from that standpoint, you kind of got a little bit lucky there. And just, you know, just the reality of the position Jonathan Taylor plays and, and those things is he guaranteed to play, you know, every single game for you, so... I don't know, Jake. I mean, if you can find that quarterback answer, it can cure a whole lot. Um, I think you can you can make a step this coming season to where you're kind of in the you know four or five range of the AFC. But right now, when I look at Cincinnati, Buffalo, and Kansas City, I see a lot of staying power, a lot of staying staying power from those three, and. A little bit of a tier. And obviously Kansas City, I think it's fair to say, probably on a different tier. Uh, hopefully Buffalo can get on that tier for my financial stake. <laughs> but, yeah, this was um, this is a real, really tough one in terms of now the resources you have, where you're at, utilizing those those resources. You know, Do you get to a point now where it's – are you running the back of Eric Fisher at left tackle? I, I heard a little bit of that from the Chris Bauer presser. You know, what positions are you deciding just need to patchwork? You know, well, we can band-aid there, and we'll kind of come back and address that the next offseason. If you run it back with Wentz for a year, and then you get to next year, and the decision's no, you know, then where are you going at quarterback? Yeah. Is that having, you know, the first-round pick to where you go ahead and find something there? Um, so, yeah, that's a that's a good question. I would say right now, without knowing that quarterback answer, I'd say two years is probably a fair assessment, Jake. All right, that does it for Twitter questions. Cool, and uh, as always, thank you to everybody who sent those questions in. Mm -hmm. Always my favorite time of the week to hear from you guys and what insight you have. Uh, We've got a long list of off-season questions. We'll pick, what, a dozen or so each week out of there and answer those and have a new uh, topic to get to each week on the pod. I think next week we'll look into free agents, that the Colts have, and guys you would bring back, guys a little bit more on the fence, things like that. Uh, obviously, if any news breaks between now and then, we can hit on that as well. Uh, missing anything, Chris? No. I think he nailed it all. He's Chris Presti. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week, great weekend watching the divisional round of the playoffs. We'll talk to you next week on Kevin's Corner.
This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.